0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Truly a privilege and an honor to be with you, really, really is. Let's begin. You know, last month, I got to thinking, last month was the 20th anniversary for me. 20 years that I've been in construction in some form or another, in the trades and management. And uh, I've had the, really the privilege to work on some amazing, amazing construction projects. And while I'm working on them, knowing what the end result is supposed to be, knowing what the desired goal is, but while you're building, while you're in the construction of that project, sometimes you ask yourself and you say, how in the world are we going to build this? See a picture in the gate when you walk in. A couple of projects had the finished result, and I'm standing there scratching my head, how is this going to happen? But lo and behold, it happened. These projects got finished, and uh, when it comes to construction, like many other things, there's certain procedures, certain protocols that when they're in place, the desired end result will be favorable. Now, one phase, I'm going to give you two, one phase that's so important, the first one, is the design phase. You must have the right design, and the second one is build. Before you can build, you have to have the right design, a good design. And then after the design, you need the blueprints and forms to execute, to give it to those who are going to build. Craftsmen, I've had the, also the privilege of working with some amazing trades, laborers, iron workers, carpenters, dock builders, electricians. And while you're working on a job, you sometimes see a, a trade in a certain area just doing what they do. Then you see a trade on the other side of the job doing what they do. And somehow, saying to yourself, What are they doing? Oh, they're doing that. And then you try to put it all together, all having the same goal, doing what they do for the end result, the building of the project. And you know, it's kind of like that to some extent when we think of the Church of Jesus Christ. All different abilities and trades given. You see, when we look at verses 7 to 16, as we will the next two times, God willing, we see God's construction project, the building of the body of Christ. Now, it's a mission that we're all called to, a mission for me and you. And Jesus said, he will build his church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. Well, we know that. That's no surprise. We would all say amen to that. We've seen the growth of the church through persecution We've seen it through false teachers, through the gates of of, of satanic oppression. Come on, the church. Throughout the centuries, the church is being built. But what you may find interesting, as I do, the way that Christ will build. You see, he will supply. He is the designer of this project. And he supplies the giftings, the callings, and the abilities. Now, today in Ephesians, and we see... Kind of the blueprints for the church, the building up of the body, according to the designer's specifications. We, his people, are called to partake in this process of building up the body. And he supplies what we need. We've all been called to a mission. And it's not a mission overseas. It's a mission right here for all of us. All have been called to this. You know, when you think of a mission, you most often think of what? The Great Commission, right? And Jesus said, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And certainly, part of our mission here is the Great Commission. No question. As the gospel goes forth, the church will grow, certainly numerically, but our mission here in Ephesians 4 and building up the body of Christ is that the church would grow not numerically as much as in maturity and stability. And today we examine how the Lord does this, this great designer. So in our sermon, we're going to focus on what Christ did and what he gives to accomplish this task. Let's read our text. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 to 12 title of the message is the triumphant Christ the giver of gifts hear the word of God but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift therefore it says when he ascended on high he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men now this expression he ascended what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens so that he may fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, we're going to focus on what he gave, but first, let's focus on what he did as we pick it up from verse 8. When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In verse 8, the Apostle Paul is tying this verse into Psalm 68, verse 18, which we concluded with this morning. Psalm 68 was a victory hymn composed by David. And in verse 7 of Psalm 68, it depicts God as marching in triumph before all of Israel after the exodus. It's an image of a victorious ruler leading a victory march after battle, taking captives, receiving gifts from people. And Paul uses this as an illustration to show the triumphant King Jesus as a picture of Christ's victorious ascent into heaven. Now let's look at this for a moment. When he ascended on high, after Jesus resurrected, he was exalt- resurrection, he was exalted at where? The right hand of the Father. How do we know that? Acts 2:33. And as a result, the exalted, triumphant Christ is now present reality, exalted at the highest place. Of all authority. He forever reigns. Paul alluded to this earlier in Ephesians. In chapter 1, verses 21 to 23, where is Christ now? He's far above all rule, all authority, and power and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. Now we see this next line, he led a host of captives. And this passage is not the most easy passage to interpret. There are various views on what some of these uh, verses mean. But I'm going to give you two here. So he led a host of captives. Now some interpret this to mean, he paid a ransom... For disobedient sinners, making them believers through the gospel. And amen, that is true. Absolutely. This verse may also refer to Christ's victory over spiritual powers. Colossians 2.15, which you'll be getting to soon, Elder Glenn, God willing. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphant, triumphant over them. So, those are... Two issues we see here when he led a host of captives. Paul using this to speak about Christ. Now one thing we must consider. When Jesus established the church in Ephesians, one of the primary goals we see is building up one another, which we'll get to. But also something we don't often think about, I believe. Part of the church's mission, you, the church, those who have been born again by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, those his people is making the manifold wisdom of God known. Ephesians 3.10. That the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. To the rulers and authorities in, hev- in the heavenly places. This was in accordance to his eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus the Lord. So the church is a very... important important part of Christ's first coming as well to establish the church here on earth. Now, let's look at the next phrase. In Christ's ascension, he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to men. Here, Paul depicts Christ returning from battle on earth back into glory in the heavenly city with trophies of his great victory at Calvary, to his victorious exaltation, Christ established victory. Okay, so we see this phrase, he gave gifts to men. Now, let's examine this. In Christ's exaltation, he gave gifts to men, and Paul uses Psalm 68, verse 18, to illustrate this, because Psalm 68, 18, describes the victorious Lord Receiving gifts. Receiving gifts from men. And Paul pictures it here as Christ sharing his tribute with men. Not receiving, but giving. And how fitting is that? The one who gives all things to his children. After such a triumph, a king would bring home spoils to prisoners. Now what's a spoil? Something valuable taken from an enemy in war. Quote by John MacArthur. After a king won such victory, he would bring some spoils and enemy prisoners to parade before his people. Another feature of the victory parade, however, would be the display of the king's own soldiers who had been freed after being held prisoner by the enemy. These were often referred as recaptured captives, prisoners, who had been taken prisoners again, so to speak, by their own king and given freedom, end quote. Now, before Christ could be victorious, before he could ascend to the place of all authority, we pick it up at verse 9, he had to descend. See this language of ascend and descend throughout verses 8 to 10. Now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. Well, first foremost, before we get to this phrase, lower parts of the earth, when Jesus Christ came to earth, several things transpired. This was a multifaceted plan derived by the Father, Son, and Spirit before the foundations of the world. Jesus Christ would come in a form known as the Incarnation. In the earthly body, the incarnation, he would be born of a virgin. In the fullness of time, he would come in the form of man and humble himself. He would humble himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Philippians two eight. Consider what the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter two verse seventeen. He's speaking of Christ had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he may become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. That word propitiation means appeasing the wrath of God. He would exchange his life for the lives of those he called. Now, Christ Jesus would save his people from their sins. Amen. He would destroy the works of Satan. Amen. But he also would establish authority here on earth and in the heavenly places. Now let's clarify this phrase. Because it's very has had a lot of interpretations throughout church history. Further clarify the ascended-descended themes. But let's look at descended to the lower parts of the earth. Now the first interpretation, and probably the oldest, is that Jesus descended into Hades. After his death, but before his resurrection, Jesus went to Hades to liberate Old Testament saints. And very often, this scripture is often compared with 1 Peter three nineteen and 20, which reads, in which, he, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. Now, this would mean that Christ descended into Hades between his death and resurrection. And the Apostle, Apostles' Creed declares that after Jesus died, he descended into hell. That's one. That's one of the most historic interpretations. I'll give you another one. That he descended to the lower parts of the earth, meaning that three days and three nights he was in the tomb where he was buried. Along the lines of Matthew twelve forty. For even as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's also another interpretation that some have ascribed to this passage. Now, according to an article in the ESV Expositors Commentary, Volume 11, by a man by the name of Benjamin Merkel from the Southern Baptist Seminary, he says this, the lower regions refer to the earth as opposed to the heavens, quote. Thus, Jesus' descent to the earth is another way of referring to the incarnation. Lower parts, namely the earth, is his descent to earth. Now, how can we justify that interpretation? Well, John 3.13, no one has ascended into heaven but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Philippians two, seven and eight, which I've already alluded to, but he'd emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He became sin for us, Second Corinthians five twenty one, so that we may become the righteousness of God. Now this is primarily the reformed interpretation. Calvin, Charles Hodge, Ligonier Ministries, most Reformed people take the Incarnation as this interpretation. Merkel states the Incarnation has the fewest difficulties and best fits the context of Ephesians. In any event, we see in Isaiah 53 that he would be humiliated. He would be spat upon, beaten. And it's from his humiliation comes his exaltation. Because verse 10, when he descended, he who descended is himself also he who ascended far above the heavens so he might fill all things. Whatever interpretation we take, Christ Jesus is victorious. Mission accomplished. But now the church is a mission in progress. So we might fill all things. It's Christ Fills the entire universe through the exercise of his sovereign, divine lordship in all things. Amen. So verses 8 to 10, the triumphant Christ who he sends to his throne in heaven after defeating spiritual forces, after defeating death, sin, and Satan. Instead of receiving gifts, he gives gifts to his church. The spoils of war, if you will. Christ has conquered his enemies and he provides grace. He provides gifts. Let's look now at what the triumphant Christ gives. What he gives. Verse 7. We pick it up. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. All people are given grace. Now, grace is given to build the body, this mission, this construction project. And grace is multifaceted. It is by grace we have been saved. We saw that in chapter 2, verses 2, verses 5, and verses 8. Saving grace, the Christian religion, is salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. I say that a lot because it has to be understood. It's by grace alone. We understand that. as What is grace? It's the unmerited favor of God. And this grace that saves also sustains us as the pastoral prayer. God's going to get you over to the finish line because God is the one who provided the salvation. God is the one who provided the grace. But what we see here in our context is an enabling. This is an enabling grace, a grace given you to serve. Now, a Christian has been given some measure of grace to serve and benefit one another. To build up the church. The gift of grace is bestowed upon all individuals. And the gift is not necessarily for the individual, but it's for those in the body. For the collective edification and betterment of one another unto the purposes of building up God's church. Now believers are all unified in spirit. We are all one in the spirit as we learned about the unity we saw early on in chapter 4. But there are diversities here in this room, diversities of abilities and giftings that God gives to people. Romans 12:6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12:4, diversities of gifts but of the same spirit. So there is a unification here by the Holy Spirit to give these gifts. And some of these gifts are gifts of administration. Some of these gifts are exhortation, faith, evangelism, giving helps, hospitality. Some of you have the gift of mercy. Some of you have the gift, a lot of you have the gift of encouragement. And they are used for the construction project of God here, the building up of the body. How so? in maturity, in stability, as we will see down the road in verses 13 to 16. But verse 11 now focuses on gifts of leadership, what is known as word gifts, needed for the growth of the church. You see, these gifts complement your gifts. Let's look at them. Now, these gifts, when Jesus had received gifts for men, which he distributes, Christ ascended, exalted, filling the universe, and bestowing gifts. So these gifts are gifts of offices to the people that God chooses. Let's look at verse 11. What are they? He gave some apostles, as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Why? We see in verse 12 for the equipping of the saints, which we'll get to. Now, For the edification of the one another's here. For the edification of one another. For the corporate aspect of the church. To bless one another. To build one another up. This is relational. This is Christian, a relational aspect to the body of Christ which is near and dear to God's heart. Now these are specific gifts that are considered to be all for leadership positions for the word. These are what is known as word gifts. Let's look at them. First of all there are diversity. Remember the unity of the spirit and diversities in all different gifts. The first one is apostle. Typically that was one who was sent out. Most commonly thought of as those who had been with Jesus. Although this gift is no longer accessible to us today there is very very much profit that came from this office and we'll talk about that. The qualifications of an apostle were those who had been a witness of the resurrected Christ. They would have been given the ability, a supernatural revelation. They would have been given the ability to perform signs and wonders. We see that through the book of Acts. And along with the prophets, they would be instrumental in the foundation of the New Testament, in the foundation of the church. Now the next one is prophets. New Testament prophets received and proclaimed special revelation in the early church. How did they do this? They gave predictions, but they also gave exhortations. They gave warnings, and they also gave encouragement and comfort as well. See an example of Judas and Silas in Acts 15.32. There would be warning, and there would also be explanation. Now the teaching of the New Testament prophets and apostles Is The office of apostle has ceased, the office of prophet has ceased, but their work has not ceased. We have the New Testament, which is the foundation of the church with Christ being the chief cornerstone. We saw that in chapter 2, verse 20. Now, there are certain aspects of their office that are unique and have been discontinued, but in the sense of prophet, Every time we come to the scriptures and we reiterate God's special revelation, there can be a sense of prophecy for all of us when we do that. And it's very important that we understand that when someone gets up in front of a church or on a street corner or in a conversation and says something as, thus saith the Lord, but it contradicts God's revealed will. It contradicts God's revealed character. They are not speaking for the Lord. It's very important that we understand that. And that has led to much charismatic chaos that we've seen throughout the years. So the next gift we see is evangelist. And that is still accessible to us today. People especially gifted to share the gospel message, proclamation. Some evangelists are traveling uh, missionaries but those who have the ability to convey the gospel message. And God uses them to convert people. And we see the last one or two, depending how you look at it, pastors and teachers. Now this could be referring to the same office, same ministry. Uh, both the pastor and teacher is to shepherd the flock of God. And very often the way we shepherd the flock of God is through the teaching of the word. Not very often, all the time. That's an integral part of shepherding. Now, the qualification of a pastor who is one, has a gifting and a calling, and consequently, the ability to teach. Now, there are some that have the ability to teach that may not be called to shepherd. But nevertheless, I believe this to be the same calling, And we are all called to some extent to articulate the faith, 1 Peter 3.15. And through the pastor, through the proclamation week in and week out from the pulpit, this enables us to articulate our faith. This enables us to build the body of Christ. So these offices are word gifts. These are leadership gifts. And though the office of apostle and prophet may be obsolete, We have their work. Their work is here for us, relevant today. So, just as there are different giftings, different offices, just like in the construction industry, there are those iron workers that are gifted to do what they do, those laborers who build in that area, but all for the collective benefit of the project. So, this, we look at the natural realm. And it has some comparison to the supernatural as well, in building up the body of Christ. Why does he give these gifts? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, we'll explore this more, God willing, next time. But Christian, are you aware that you have been given a gift You've been given grace. You've been given an ability to build up the body of Christ in maturity. Your gift has been selected for you and specially designed by God for you. Romans 12.8 Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. Now whatever your gift is, Everyone here who has the Holy Spirit and has been saved by grace is given enabling grace to use this gift and to function in the local church. While it's noble and admirable for us to desire a mission in life, and let me just say this, some of you are pursuing a career. Some of you are pursuing school. Some of you are in the, have the mission of parenting. Some of you have the mission of raising up uh, children and homeschooling. And some of you are now going to school and going to college will be out in the world to have a career. And this is noble and this is admirable. And whatever you do, do it unto the glory of God. You have to ask yourself, what is your mission? Part of your mission is building up the body of Christ. That's part of all of our mission everyone's mission that is here. Now many in the world and maybe some in the church will labor labor for treasures that will perish building and constructing things in this kingdom that will perish. Many will serve themselves and build monuments of all sorts in the kingdom of man and many do store up their treasures here on earth. All treasures that will burn, that will not have an eternal significance. The building up of the body of Christ will have an eternal significance. You see, many seek purpose in this world apart from a life in Christ, which is vanity. Is that you here today? Are you looking for a purpose apart from a life of Christ? Was Christ a higher priority at one point in your life? Now not as much. See, we all have a purpose, a mission that is greater than ourselves. The building up of the body of Christ. The proclamation of God's word. Interceding for the lost. Giving the gospel to the lost. May we be faithful in it. Because we'll reap rewards that far outweigh any treasures, any mission that we can have here on earth. Rewards that will be stored up in heaven for you. Rewards that will last, rewards that will have eternal significance. What we do unto others in the ministry here in this local church is very significant. And it has to be part of our mission. And Jesus Christ has given you, in the Father, Son, and the power of the Spirit, given each and every one of you the grace and gifts to fulfill this calling. We can take comfort in knowing something. That we belong to this church, this organization that will never die. This church will succeed. Everything else, these institutions in the world, they're all going to burn. The church. As Christ was triumphant, so the church is and will be triumphant. Praise God. In God's providence, we find ourselves in this text today In a situation we have here in our church as it relates to this congregation, we enter a season where we're called to serve. We're also called to create opportunities to serve. I'm going to ask you to pray two weeks and see what it is that, how do you want to serve? What are you qualified to do? What has the Lord called you to do? And on October 3rd, we're going to ask you to speak to our brother Curtis, who's designing some uh, apps and some He's design, designing something to better help facilitate service in the church. So not everything will fall on our pastor. Not everything will fall on Curtis or, or someone else. Where the collective unity of the body is working in, co- in accordance to the word of God. In accordance to God's divine plan. Are you aware of your calling? Some are not. I understand that. Some it takes some time. Some are. Aware. And you know that God has called you to serve to help edify one another. But I want to just conclude by saying this as well, Christian. With your salvation and with the gifts and the calling and the plan that God has. Now you may think the church is pretty insignificant. It's not. It's very. You look in the New Testament. Are you aware... To the extent that Jesus Christ went for you? The humiliation coming from heaven to earth. Suffering. Died and was buried and on the third day he rose again. In his humiliation we even receive exaltation. How so? Ephesians 2.6 You've been saved and you've been raised up. With him and seated. He seated us with him in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. Raised up with Christ. Seated in the heavenly places. Raised from the dead. Risen. We have eternal life. And now we see this aspect of salvation. To co-labor with him. In the building of his church. Where the gates of Hades will not prevail. Are you aware that he wants to use you in saving others to add to this? Church, how so? Through the gospel. Through intercessory prayer. Through your evangelism. Even if it's not formally an outreach. We're all dispersed in various places. And we carry the spirit of God and the word of God. But are you aware how he wants to use all of us in building up this body? As we leave today, we ask the question, what is your mission? Whatever your mission is, may this building up of the body be part of your mission. May it be a priority. For those who have not received this gift, Jesus Christ, the triumphant Christ, gives gifts to men. And the greatest gift that he's ever given to me or anyone here Could only be his eternal life. Have you not received this gift? You could receive this gift today. You must receive this gift. It comes by God's grace. And you know, grace is getting what you don't deserve. And then the flip side of grace is also not getting what you do deserve. You've rebelled against God. There's no sort of good works or justification that's going to merit you good standing in the eyes of God. It simply will not happen. Please, if you're wrestling with that, surrender today. By grace, Jesus Christ condescended and came to rescue people who do not deserve to be rescued. That's grace. God is a just God. And we've committed crimes against him. What's the crime? By sinning. Against God. And you may not think today that sin is a big deal. But God does. And that's why Jesus Christ came. Came to earth. To pay the penalty. For the sins of his people. He was sentenced to death. And it's something that you could not do on your own. There's no amount of of, of money. That you could have. Paid to settle this debt that you have. One sin is enough to put you out of God's grace into hell for eternity. Now, that may sound harsh. That's Christianity 101. That's the true word of God. Don't wrestle with that anymore today. The sinless Lamb of God came. Receive this gift today. How do you do that? You surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You turn your life over to Him. You turn from your sin. You repent. And you receive His offer. The free gift of God in Jesus Christ. There are no B plans to this, folks. I'm telling you, you must do this if this has not been done. And for those who have been called to this church and have maybe taken a step back where God is not the highest priority I pray today that we surrender back to God because Christ is our highest priority the triumphant Christ the giver of gifts let's pray Father God we give thanks to you Lord we give thanks to you Lord that you have a plan for your people before the foundation of of the earth, Lord, a plan for salvation, a plan for the church, the people of God, a plan, Lord, to go forth in this world, a plan to form us to godliness, to Christ likeness. We pray now, Lord, as we go forth, may we grow in the grace and knowledge and wisdom of God, may we grow in spiritual integrity spiritual stability. Help us, Lord. We need your help. Help us, and may we serve one another. In Jesus' name, amen.